So this morning, as we've read, we arrive at, at chapter 2, verse 29, and we're going to go all the way through to uh, chapter 3, verse 10. But first, I want to have a, just a short recap to see how John has just led us through this letter to the point we are at now. In chapter 1, John made it crystal clear who Christ is. And then he separated people into two camps. Uh, he said there, there were some, there were those who loved Christ and walked in his ways. And there are those who claim to love Christ, but are liars and are actually walking the ways of, of Satan. And here John was referring to the false teachers who had come into the church, um, but had now left. Their teaching had been rejected, but they'd still caused trouble and still caused harm, but they had now gone. Chapter 2, John lays out the work of Christ again, and he goes back again to separate the true believer from the false. And in one of those sections, um, John showed that those who loved the world and all the things of the world were actually not of God. So there was a separation there. If you love the world, you're not of God. If you love God, then you will not love the world. John also dealt with um, the Antichrist and Antichrist, showing that um, if we are we are of Christ, if we have faith in him and we um, are devoted to him as, as an outworking of belonging to him, we will know who the Antichrists are and who the Antichrist is purely because we know Jesus. We will be able to identify the error and the false teaching because we know the truth. We know Christ. And now we come to the section for today in these in these few verses. So today's title for the sermon is um, Born of God or Born of Satan. Um, and again, in this part, John does a sim- has a similar pattern. He says, look, here's Jesus. Look how wonderful he is. Look how perfect he is. Look what he has done for us. And then he goes on to say, look, here again are those who trust in Christ and him alone. And here are those who do not and are actually of Satan. Um, so it's a pattern through, throughout the letter of John that he, he reveals to us um, who Christ is and then reveals who is, who is a true follower and who isn't. So we, we're going to now come to our first point, which is born of God. What does it mean to be born of God? And we see this um, in verse 29. If ye know that he is righteous, that is God, Ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Now, from, from a, a, a physical point of view, not a spiritual one, there is um, there's an ongoing debate about um, the behaviour of people and the connection to their upbringing. Is it uh, is a person's character um, when they when they are grown uh, a result of nature or nurture? Was the outcome already set for them because of their DNA? Or are their actions, whether good or bad, a result of their upbringing? It's very complex and there's much to be said on both sides. But however, when we look at this from a a spiritual aspect, from the Christian faith, the, the scripture speaks clearly. It is to do with nature. And by nature, I mean that when we practice righteousness... It is because by nature we are of God. We have come to faith. Again, not of our doing, but of, of Christ's doing. And this is what verse 29 is stating here. John's stating that God is righteous. 
And we, we need to understand what does, what does this mean? What does righteous mean? Well, it means God is perfect in all his ways. His laws are righteous and perfect. His judgments are righteous and perfect. His love, his mercy and grace are all righteous. Uh, at times, um, there's been teaching, uh, false teaching that comes in and, and tries to separate Old Testament from, from new, that, that God in the Old Testament was a, a, a God of wrath and anger and it was bad. And what we have now in Jesus is lovely and new and perfect. But actually, from, from old to new, we know that God never changes. There is a, a righteousness in all he does, in his judgments, in his grace, in his mercy. All is perfect. And John is saying here that we know that all those who are in Christ are a new creation. They are born of God. They are born again. And as a result of that, they will do righteousness. They will seek to do righteousness. Ephesians 2.10 puts it like this. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are saved to do good works. If we are born of God, we will seek to do righteousness. And by the grace and his mercy and his love for us, he will equip us to do this. In Christ, we've been cleansed and we are born again to a new spiritual life. We have a new heart. We have a new desire. We now love God and seek to honour him. And we show and do this by living righteously for him. It is a demand and an expectation of those who love Christ. It's an outworking of what God has done in them. So it's, it's, it's a change of nature, a heart from stone to a heart of flesh. And then this pushes us to, to the next question. What is it to do righteousness? What is John saying here when he says, that ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Particularly in this day and age, um, it's difficult for the world to grasp this because they will change what righteousness is. They will try to put out their, their definition of what it means to be good. But we have to go by God's standard because only God is good. So we have his moral law, don't we? We we have things such as don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, obey your parents, love your neighbour. Now, if we look at it superficially, we could say that actually quite a few people do this. I, I know of people who, who to a certain extent, have, have kept these commandments, sometimes better than believers. I know of, of Muslims, uh, Buddhists, Jews, secularists who who live a, what would be deemed as a moral, upstanding life. I know of people who, who have attended church for, for decades on a regular basis and help out at church, but they have no faith. Are they born of God? What, what does it mean to do righteousness? Well, if you just want to turn to Mark chapter 10 now, we're going to have a look at verses 17 to 34. And this will give us a clear idea of what it means to do righteousness in relation, in relation to God. So Mark chapter 10, 17 to 34. And when he was gone forth into the way, that was Christ, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? 
Notice there, what shall I do that I may in- inherit eternal life? There's, again, immediately there is an issue there. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Defraud not, honour thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy well, go, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had had great possessions. And Jesus looked round about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. So here we we had the rich young ruler who lived a moral life. Wasn't perfect as I think he believed himself to be. But his issue in regard to doing righteousness was not that he didn't regard the laws of God uh, and that he broke commandments in a, a shocking way. It appears that he was quite an upstanding member of society if what he said was was correct. The commandment that he broke was that he rejected Christ. Christ said, follow me. This young man loved his possessions more than Christ. He loved the things of the world. As John mentioned in chapter 2, he loved the things of the world more than Christ. He wanted these things more than Jesus. He wanted to earn his own salvation. What <clears throat> when, when he said, um, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He was striving to be his own saviour. So he rejected Jesus. And this really leads us on to what it means to do righteousness. First of all, we must come to Christ. For no one can do anything righteous if they have rejected Jesus. Um, And that is because at the heart of all they do, they are either attempting to earn their own righteousness unto salvation, as the rich young ruler did, or they are wanting the praise and honour and glory of men. So if they are obeying any, God's com- any of God's commandments in the slightest, it isn't from a love of Christ. It's from a love of self. And they are really worshipping themselves rather than God. They are breaking the first commandment. Now if you know God because you have faith in Christ then you love God and you will seek to do right, righteousness by obeying his commands. And where do we find these? Well, these are in scripture. These are not things that we just make up because, again, we look to the world and the world likes to make its own laws, its own rules, so that the world can be seen as righteousness in their own ways. But if we do, in fact, love Christ and we are of faith, then we will mind the scriptures. 
We will have fellowship with one another. We will be baptised, having believed on the Lord for salvation. And we will gather and take communion. And that's because we know this will bless us and equip us to pursue this life of righteousness and to practice righteousness. John Gill puts it like this. One who with the heart believes unto righteousness and lays hold of faith and uh, lays hold by faith and lives upon the righteousness of Christ for justification and who performs good, good works in faith and from a principle of love, not to obtain a justifying righteousness, but because he is justified by the righteousness of Christ. So basically, we will pursue righteousness. We will do righteous things, not out of our own strength, but because we know Christ, because he is equipping us to do these things. But we will strive, we will desire to do these things. The one who does righteousness is because they are born of God. And we are born of God because... We are loved by him. And this is our second point. Now, we are we are born of God because we are loved by him. And we read this in, in chapter 3, um, verse 1 and 2. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So this desire for us to do righteousness is a result of the Christian understanding that the love of God has brought them into a fellowship with the Father, that they are called sons of God. We are now called sons of God. And what manner of love has the Father given us? He he has given us his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So if we are born of him, we understand that we are loved by him. And we understand that we are loved by him because he has given us his son, Jesus Christ. So in what way, how has the father given us his son? Well, in chapter 4 in in 1 John, he says this. In this was manifested the love of God towards us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we are children of God because God loved us. Again, no part played by us. We didn't earn the love of God. We didn't try to do what the... the, um, the rich young ruler did by by trying to be righteous and earn our own salvation, we will love purely because God loves us. As Glenn mentioned last week, this is unconditional election. This was done out of God's mere good pleasure. So Christian, we are loved unconditionally in such a way that the Father has given his Son for us. The Son, Jesus, who willingly went to the cross as our substitute, received upon himself the wrath of the Father so that we could be called and become a child of God. So this this love that the Father has bestowed on us resulted in him laying, laying his wrath upon his Son. 
so that his wrath would be satisfied. So it wouldn't be on us when we come face to face with him. Isaiah 53 shows us this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall pro- pro- prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is the love that God has bestowed upon those who believe. This is his love in action. This is the outworking of the love of God. And this is not done towards a people who deserve it. This is done to a wretched people who from conception, from the very beginning of us being created, we rebelled against him. And as a result of this, really, no one can state that they know how to love unless they have experienced this love, this love of God. And again, linking back to to verse 29, how can we not seek to do righteousness when the Lord has given his son and shown us his perfect love? This is just a natural consequence to being a child of God. We will automatically, we will seek to, to love the Lord, because we understand the love that he has bestowed upon us. And we will seek his strength, we will seek his grace uh, in order to help us do righteousness. But there is there is uh, a consequence, and I would say it's a good consequence, to being a child of God. And we, we see this in at the end of verse 1 in chapter 3. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. So and if we are born of him and we are loved by him, one of the consequences will be that the world will not know us. This means that the world will not understand us. Now, in reality, in truth, the Christian should be a peculiar thing to the world. The Christian should not be accepted by the world. The, those of the world, those who seek the things of the world, those who love the world and reject Christ should be quite confused by what we do and why we do it. The fact that we have turned up today will be a confusing thing to the world. Why on earth, on a Sunday, before the the, uh, working week begins, why would you spend time reading an old book, gathering together and singing some songs? It's bizarre to the world. And the reason is that the world doesn't know God. It doesn't know the God of the Bible and therefore it cannot know those who are his children. So if those of the world do not understand our righteous our righteous works that we do in Christ and through Christ, if he doesn't understand why we do what we do, then there is a reason for us to in, to, to rejoice in this. However, on the other on the other hand, be wary if the world does love our behaviour and knows and understands why we do what we do. It could be that they may look at things, look at the church in, in a way and think, oh, it is moral, it is good. However, it might be because we've slipped and we were doing the things of the world. We might not be a child of God. Now, our lives, especially today in this present age, in this evil world, should be so against the grain that we are, as I said, be, be strange, be an oddity to the world. What I'm not suggesting is that we seek to do the exact opposite 
of the world just because. We're like, oh, the world does this, therefore I'm going to go to the exact opposite. But we should go against the grain if the grain is going against the word of God. It should be a natural thing. If we are so set on on being in Christ and walking in his ways and, and seeking him, our lives will, at some point, in one way or another, go against the grain. And it's not too difficult to do that today. For example, as Christians, one, we can define what a woman is. We're not a fan of, of, of killing babies in the womb. We're not a fan of killing those who are vulnerable. We believe that sex is only between one man, who we can define, and one woman, who we can define, in a marriage setting. We believe that allowing children to change genders is child abuse. Now that, to us, just seems normal. This just seems like, okay, this is standard. This, But that's because we are, are, are children of God. But in today's world... This is massive. This is really going against the grain. And we may suffer for this. So, if we love God and are born of him, it is because we have first been loved by God. And this has been revealed to us through his son, through Christ's death on the cross. And again, that goes to be our motivation, our desire to do righteousness. Ultimately, revealing that we are of God. We are born of God. But we are not yet perfect. We still fight against this flesh and this sin that is in us. And for the Christian, there is going to be a battle. And this brings us to our next point as, as we, again, we're going to link in with verse 2. If we are born of him, we will eventually be like him. And we've got to make this clear because, again, there are some false teaching. Some people um, teach that we are mini-gods. If we are born of God, we are a mini-god. We are a god ourselves. That is nonsense. Well, it means that we will be like Christ. Verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. For us... As Christians, this life is going to be difficult. Even if we had the easiest life, if we had all our our physical needs met, even if we were left alone on a desert island with all that we needed, there would be a battle because within us is sin. There is still a battle against the flesh because we are not yet what we are going to be. We could live a thousand years and never be what we are going to be. So when Christ appears at his second coming, when all believers are gathered, we shall be like Jesus. We may live righteously at times now, reflecting dimly that Christ has had his work in us. But this will only be completed at our death. Only will perfection come at our death. And it's a peculiar thing because the Christian, again, going against the world, should view death very differently. Yes, when we lose a loved one, there should be pain, there should be sadness, because death is a horrible thing. But personally, for the believer, death, Spurgeon called death, the best friend, the best of all friends. So for, for, the, for the believer, the death is the best of all friends, because we will finally become what we were meant, meant to become. We will be what we are going to be. 
This sinful nature will be stripped from us. There will be no more battling against the flesh. To the Christian, this is why, one, well, one reason why heaven is heaven. We'll be with Christ our Saviour. We will be like him. The desires of the flesh we battle against will have ceased. We will see Christ face to face. And we will worship him perfectly. There will be no, there'll be no <coughs> battle against the sin of, of trying to, to do what is righteous. There'll be no law of the world trying to pull us away. We'll be with Christ perfectly because we are children of God. And this is what we look forward to. So in death, while it was never meant to be, while it is an horrific thing for the Christian, it's, we will finally be what we are going to be. <clears throat> We're going to be like Christ. And then there's a follow-on from this in verse 3. Listen to what John says. And every man that hath this hope in him, purifying himself, even as he is pure. So our hope is that we will one day, at death, when Christ returns, we will be like him. This is our hope. And because this is our hope, we will seek to purify ourselves. Now, what John is not stating here is that a person can purify, cleanse themselves from sin. That's not our work, that is the work of Christ. And it's his blood that is shed for us that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But a Christian, a child of God, will seek to follow Christ. They will strive to deny themselves the lusts of the flesh. They no longer will they want to walk in the ways of the world. They will go against the tide. I'm sure all of us here at some point have, have lost something in our pursuit of Christ, whether it's a friends, family, who may have even lost uh, a job or, or health or even reputation. We may even know of brothers and sisters who have lost their lives because they seek to follow Christ. But because of what we have read in verse 2 and 3, that we are children of God and at his return we will be like him, the believers don't count these things as losses, but they are willing to do away with these things. They are willing to purify themselves and the, their life from, from the lusts of the flesh. Because they know, again in chapter 2, when what happens to the things of the world, they will pass away. So we will seek to purify ourselves. We will seek to, to do away with the things that, that pull us away from Christ. And again, as mentioned before, how do we do this? Well, it's done through the means of grace. We want to hear the preaching of God's word. We want to be baptised. We want to have communion. We, we pray we have fellowship. These are the instruments that God has given us in order that we can be purified in our walk as we seek to be more and more like Christ each day until we finally get to the point where we are like him at death. But whilst we make the effort and have these God-given desires to do these things, it is the means of grace that have a spiritual blessing on us. This is why we seek to do them. And again, what manner of love is this? That we are children of God. And because we are children of God, he blesses us with such things as the means of grace. And the reason we can get to this point, the reason we are children of God, the reason why we seek to purify, purify ourselves and, and walk in Christ's ways, is because of what we read in verses 4 and 5. If we are born of him, 
our sins have been taken away. So in these verses, John will define what sin is and how it's dealt with. And um, he will he will show us that um, our sins have been taken away through Christ and um, that we will uh, abide in him, that we, we are his. So let's just read verses four and five now. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So firstly, John's saying sin is the breaking of God's law. It's, a break, it's not the breaking of man's law. We have to be careful with that. For we know that at, time to, at times to obey man's laws would be in fact to break God's laws. But by John, but what John is saying is he's speaking of the moral law. He's speaking of the Ten Commandments. And the commandments, these Ten Commandments are fleshed out in the New Testament. We see these um, explained to us in greater detail. So sin is the breaking of God's moral law, either by action or thought or by inaction as well, if we are not doing the things that God asks. So when we delve into the scriptures, Again, as I said, we see these all brought to life and, and shown to us, and that is for our sanctification. And really, they are shown and revealed to us in the life of Jesus Christ. So we look to him. And for, for, for the non-believer, for those, for the law is over them, they will look and they should, should fall to their knees and cry out, what must I do to be saved? And as we know, some do cry cry out. If we have come to faith, we know that we have done this. We have looked at ourselves under the light of the law and realised we fall short. But others will reject and go against the law. They will either dismiss it and say, this is, this is a lie, this is not the truth. Or they will be like the rich young ruler and actually desire things more in the world more than what they desire the law of God. But the answer to, to this question of what happens when we commit sin, when we transgress the law, what must, what must we do, is found in our confession. And it, it describes Christ wonderfully. Just bear with me just for, for a second as, as we look at this just for a moment. So for those who commit sin and transgresseth the law, they have they have broken the laws of God and are under his wrath. So what must be done for them to be saved? Well, the Son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things he has made, did, when the fullness of time was complete, take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities of it. Yet with <clears throat> yet without sin, two whole, perfect and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition or confusion, confusion which person is very God and very, very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. So for every man that has... So for everybody who's committed sin, which is everybody with the exception of Christ, they've broken the laws of God. And to be right with God, we can only turn to Christ. 
So if we are born of him, our sins have been taken away because we have been, we have trusted in Jesus Christ. That is why Christ has come. Jesus came to save sinners from the wrath to come. This is the reason God came into this, why Christ took on human nature and was fully God and fully man. He did this to take away the sins of those who have faith in him. And again, this has been muddled. False teaching will come in and and state that Christ came to teach us how to be a good person, how to be like him in order to save ourselves. It will say that he is one of many ways to live rightly. But we know the truth. The scriptures clearly state and reveal to us that Christ came to save sinners by his death on the cross. And again, what manner of love is this? That he has taken away our sins so that we can be children of the one true God. So now what I want to do from there, we've seen what has happened. We've seen what Johnny is, is pointing out, that the Lord loves us, that we are adopted into his family when we have faith in Christ. And that what sin is, that is the breaking of God's law. And now what we're going to do, we're just going to jump to verse 10 for a moment. And uh, we, I'll give you the reason for that in a second. So in this, <coughs> in verse 10, in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So verse 10 really is, is a summary of verses 6 to 9. Um, 6 to 9, John has a comparison side by side between the difference between those who are children of God and those who are children of Satan. And and verse 10 is kind of a summary of that. So we've seen what is expected of a believer and how they should live if they are truly born of God. And again, John has switched his strategies now and he's now doing this comparison. And we will see that actually there are some people who are born of of God, born of him, or they are born of Satan and will remain in that state. Because we know that everyone is born of Satan, but by the grace of God, out of his love for us, he brings us out of that, that way, out of that family, the family of Satan, and we are adopted into the family of God. So let's just go now back to verses six to nine. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now, what we have to be clear on in these few verses is that when John states that whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, and when he says that he that committeth sin is of the devil, and when he says whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, John is not speaking of sinless perfection at salvation. He's not speaking of sinless perfection at salvation. In Christ, we stand before God, holy and righteous, because we've been cleansed by the blood of Christ and clothed in his righteousness. That is our standard if we have faith in Christ. But in this life now, 
we will still sin. There will be a battle against it, but there are moments where we will falter. We will still sin and break God's commandments. And John has just shown us in verse 2 to 3, um, when he said it's, it's been uh, revealed that we sh- not being revealed what we shall be, but we will be um, like him when, uh, when he returns. So we are not perfect. That perfection is complete when we come face to face with Christ. But John, what John is saying in verses 6 to 9, he's stating that a life that is dedicated to sinning, and that person's business is the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. There's no remorse over sin. And then they can also even reject the idea of sin. They're not of Christ, they're of Satan. A Christian's life should be the opposite. It will be the opposite if they are in Christ. Their desire will be to obey Christ by seeking to keep his commandments. Their life will be marked by repentance. For when they sin, they will run back to Christ. There will be a hatred of their own sin nature. There will be guilt, there will be pain over sin, and it will be felt at their core. They will mourn over their sin and they will despair at their flesh. There will be a habit of, of turning to Christ. And again, this goes back to they have understood the fact that they have been loved by the Father. And the Christian will also seek to do righteousness. There will be a desire to do what the Lord has asked of them. That will be their desire. That will be their goal. That is what they will be seeking to achieve. And when they fall short, that's when the pain will be felt. They will know they have sinned against their father. There will be repentance. There will be remorse over what they have done. So really what it will boil down to is whether somebody loves God or not. Has the love of God been manifested in the believer? That's what we see in these verses. They will fight sin. There'll be a godly hatred of sin. There'll be a desire um, against doing the things of Satan. And this is because God has worked in them and actually because Christ has sought to destroy the works of the devil. We see that in verse 8. Because at the cross... Satan was defeated. But only for a while will he be able to roam this earth restrained by God. And that's because when Christ returns, the work of Satan will be no more. So there John has laid out, here is the love of Christ. If we are of him, we have been adopted as sons into the family of God. This is love in practice. And then out of that truth, out of that belief... Out of the the power of of Christ, we will seek to live through him, by him. So the ultimate question now really is taking all this on board. The only question left is, who is your father? Are you a child of God or are you a child of Satan? Now our life will be a reflection of who we belong to. Do we seek to do with righteousness and repent when we fall short? Do we do righteousness because he is righteous and has done a good work in us? If our life is one of sin, seeking the lust of the flesh, with no remorse, with no thought of God, and everything is just a pretense and and we just pretending to be a good person because we desire things for ourselves, then we are really born of the evil one. 
And this is important why we must examine ourselves. And if we are of God, then praise be to Christ for he has had his work in us. And he continues to refine us until the day we meet with him, until the day we, um, <clears throat> either he returns or death brings us to him. But if we are found wanting, if we are falling short of what is, is asked of us, if we are, are going in the ways of the world and going against God, then we run to Christ. We confess our sins. And as John mentioned in the previous chapter, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because when we come to faith, we've understood what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us and that we are called the sons of God. Amen.